Hi, I'm Edwin. And I'm Andrew. Sound the battle cry. Two men, 15 minutes, eternal impact. Welcome to Text Talk. For the Lord, gird your armor on, stand firm, everyone. Hello, Andrew. Hey, Edwin. We are continuing our bonus week of Text Talk. It is so much bonus fun, so much bonus excitement. So much bonus, Psalm 53. I've got Psalm 53 here from the New American Standard Bible. Go for it. All right. For the choir director, according to Mahalath, a maskil of David, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt and have committed abominable injustice. There is no one who does good. God has looked down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there is anyone who understands, who seeks after God, Every one of them has turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Have the workers of wickedness no knowledge? Who eat up my people as though they ate bread and have not called upon God? There they were in great fear where no fear had been. For God scattered the bones of him who encamped against you. You put them to shame because God had rejected them. Oh, that the salvation of Israel would come out of Zion. When God restores his captive people, let Jacob rejoice, let Israel be glad. We've obviously been comparing Psalm 14 to Psalm 53 all week, and we've already dug into in an earlier conversation the difference at verse 5. I'd really like to jump into that a little bit more today and and just recognize some things that that means for us. You cool with that? Yeah, the differences. Um, so in Psalm 14, verse 5, should I just read that yeah, again? Yeah, go ahead and read that again. Yeah, okay. So I've got that Full disclosure, I'm actually reading that from the New King James. <laughs> yeah, okay, so now you're going back to your favorite translation. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, so there they are in great fear, for God is with the generation of the righteous. That's Psalm 14, verse 5. Mm-hmm. Verse 6 says, you shame the counsel of the poor, but the Lord is his refuge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So go ahead, flip back over to 53. Go ahead and read that one from the New King James now. We heard the New American Standard a minute ago. Yeah, 53.5. Yeah, 53.5. There they are in great fear where no fear was, for God has scattered the bones of him who encamps against you. You have put them to shame because God has despised them. So as we look at the various translations of verse 5 in Psalm 53, it's apparent that there's kind of two different directions that folks take the pronouns. In fact, some translations... The, the pronoun is they. It they, says yeah. they. Who's the yeah, they? They. They are in great terror. Who is they that are in great terror? I mean, there's some translations that want to make the decision for you, and they'll just say, well, the wicked... You know, I I think I might have read that in the New Century Version. That would be an example of one. That is an example of that. However, I'm not sure that's what's going on here. Notice that in both Psalms, that very first phrase, there they are in great terror, is the same. Mm -hmm. The change is after that. So if we take Psalm 14 and we've adapted it now to this new context and they're getting up to that point of talking about those people who are in terror, it makes perfect sense for them to continue on with a little bit of that third person. But then in explaining what they're really talking about, they've now switched 
to referring to the second person. So they're saying to you, look, this is uh, 53, last half of verse 5, for God scatters the bones of him who encamps against you. You put them to shame, for God has rejected them. So like the New American Standard translation and some of these others, leaves it with the idea that there used to be no fear among the wicked, but now they have it because they've been judged. Uh But I, I really think something else is going on here. It seems to me in Psalm 14 that what is highlighted there is the fear that the fool is supposed to have, mm-hmm. but doesn't have. Right. It says that, you know, there's this great terror because God is with the generation of the righteous. But then it goes on in the next verse and says, but you're shaming the poor because you don't realize mm-hmm. he's the refuge. So here, here's this terror that the fool is supposed to have, but he's not, he, he doesn't have it. And which, by the way, you know, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Beginning of wisdom his, and It knowledge. would drive his foolishness away yes. if the wicked would actually fear the Lord. But, of course, he doesn't because he's a fool. When this is now adapted into this new setting, it gets all the way up to talking about that great terror. But it says where there is no terror. Or really, it's the idea that here are folks who are in terror, but there's no need for terror. They fear when there's nothing to fear. Nothing to fear. So now, who who would that be referring to? Well, obviously, the wicked do have something to fear. The foolish do have something to fear. I think what he's saying now in Psalm 53, and I could be completely off on this, so folks can feel free to send comments if you think I'm missing it, but I think in Psalm 14, it's talking about the fear the wicked are supposed to have, but don't. And in Psalm 53, it's talking about the fear that the righteous had, but didn't need to. Sometimes the righteous are afraid, but they shouldn't be. They they have fear when there is no need to have fear. Mm. Why? Because the Lord is bringing deliverance. The Lord is bringing judgment. And we get to the last half of this statement, for God scatters the bones of him who encamps against you. Mm-hmm. You put them to shame, for God has rejected them. You feared. There was fear there. Yeah. When there was no need, because God is going to put them to shame. Whereas back in Psalm 14, it's the fool that's putting to shame the poor because he doesn't recognize God as his refuge. Again, so we're, it's like we're looking at the same event from two different perspectives. You've got in Psalm 14, the people ought to have fear, don't. In Psalm 15, people who shouldn't have fear do. And it's all centered around the fact that God is going to judge the fool. God is going to judge the wicked. What this is saying for you and me, Andrew, is that we have nothing to fear. Yeah. Okay, so let's bring this to us. Let's bring this, uh, you know, I think Jesus talks about that. I was just going to... uh say, I guess. I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm letting it sink in. Let it sink in. Let Com- it sink coming, in. Coming from two different And if you feel the need to push there. back, go ahead. I'm okay with that. Well, I, I appreciate what you're saying, because whether, you, you know, the emphasis is upon trying to teach a fool, fear God, or you're going to learn it the hard way, or trying to teach the godly, hang on, God will deliver you. You don't need to be afraid right now. There is a positive message about trusting in God and about truly fearing God. The Lord. If you have a respect for the Lord and a knowledge of the Lord, that will sustain you and that will deliver you. If you're going to pursue a life, even inflicting your will upon the righteous and, and bringing them to terror, okay, in the face of God, that will end in judgment. That will not be good for you. What we get out of all this is that the only thing we have to fear is God Himself. Is God Himself. I know that sounds a little different than we thought, but it's it's the fact that when you fear God mm-hmm. in, in the respectful awe, I, we don't have to have the 
I, oh, I'm in terror if I'm serving the Lord. Right. You know, if I, as we've said in other Psalms, if I fear the Lord, I don't have to fear the Lord. Yeah. We also learn from this, if I fear the Lord, I don't have to fear anything. Yeah. That's a good message to be repeated. Uh, frankly, I'm glad this Psalm comes up again. Hey, if it's worth saying, it's worth saying twice. It's worth, it's worth saying, saying twice. twice. I think Jesus talks about this issue of fear and who we're supposed to fear. Mm-hmm. In Matthew chapter 10, mm-hmm. he, he brings mm-hmm. up the idea of fear and, and, and fears that we don't need to have and fears that we do need to have. And I think it's driving home the, the two different psalms. I, mean, I, don't, I don't know that Jesus is actually trying to call these two psalms to mind. I think it's good. To make this connection, because basically what we're told, Matthew 10 and what's starting around verse 24 and following, is you can kind of expect in this life, being a follower of Jesus, to run into some things that are going to challenge you and, and scare you, that the threats and the persecutions and the, the difficulties placed on you by the enemies of God may cause some disciples to fear and even turn away. Well, yeah, starting in verse 24 of Matthew chapter 10, Jesus points out that a disciple is not above his teacher. And he says, look, if they took your teacher and they persecuted him and they mocked him and they called him the master of the house, Beelzebul, look, they're going to malign you. They're going to malign They're going to malign us as his disciples. But here's his... Here's he says his, in verse 26, therefore do not fear them. So yes. before, before we get into the next part, though, okay. let's just pause there for a second. Paused. There might be an idea that proper Christianity means, well, I don't, I don't, I don't run into any waves with the world. Ooh. I mean, as, as long as, as long as I'm getting along with my neighbors and I like them and they like me, that's probably real Christianity. And, you know, it, it might be forgotten that nobody did it better than Jesus and <laughs> the world hated him and persecuted him. And he actually says, hey, if you're a disciple of me, you're going to get the same. Yeah. Now, I, I don't believe that means that we need as Christians to go and pick fights, but we certainly, certainly shouldn't be surprised that for our faith and for our convictions, there is some pretty terrifying pushback from the world. Well, now you've opened up a can of worms. Well, I'm just let's let's digest this <laughs> and then more encouragement to fear God and nothing else, you know, in, in the next couple of verses. If my Christianity is not recognized as different by the world, then maybe I'm not different. There there has to be a recognition of difference, right? That I am unique in this world. And so you get this imagery in Matthew like salt, like light. And from the Christian perspective, we think, what could be better than light? Who doesn't want this? What could be better than salt? Who doesn't like this? But we're told, and we see in the life of Jesus, well, there's plenty of people that don't like this. Well, their eyes hurt when they see the light. And no, and they don't want salt. They're low sodium, buddy. They don't want you <laughs> coming around trying to season their life. So since we're paused here in Matthew 10, let's go ahead and look at that in Matthew 5. Because one of the things that happens is we study the Sermon on the Mount atomistically. We take each little vignette and we study it separately. But if you go back to Matthew chapter 5 and verse 11, where he says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my count. Rejoice and 
be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. And it goes on with that. You know, what's interesting is we normally put verses 11 and 12 with the Beatitudes. And I understand why, because it begins with, blessed are you. But all those other Beatitudes were in the third person. Blessed are they. Blessed are those people who are poor in spirit. Blessed are they who are mourned. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Verse 11 makes a shift. Blessed are you. Second person. And when we move into verse 13, you are the salt, you are the light. It is second person. Who's the you there? You are the salt and the light. The you is the you that was just being persecuted in verses 11 and 12. But what if I just want to be blessed for being poor in spirit and I don't want this other blessing? <laughs> well, is, it, is it, can it work that way? No. It can't the, work this that is, way. This is very much in this passage. It's blessed are you and only you. Now, you know, the, the yeah. poor in spirit and those who are persecuted, these are the only ones that are blessed. Everybody else is not blessed. Yeah, and it's not all different categories of people getting blessed. This is all description of the same of person. The same person. The and same this is person. where it leads. And so, back to Matthew. Okay, can mm-hmm. we unpause? Matthew 10? Yeah. So we get to verse 26 in Matthew 10. So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Boy, that sounds a whole lot like the light under the lamp, uh, under the basket Basket. that's being pulled off. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops, and do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Mm -hmm. What is he saying? He's saying, look, yeah, there's people who can do things to your body. Mm-hmm. But, but don't fear them. God is the one who has power over body and soul. Yeah. So fear him. Fear him. So, so, so what we get to in Psalm 53 is when I fear God, mm-hmm. I've got nothing else and no one else to fear. And what we get from Matthew is we may run into some very frightening things. <laughs> but and we don't so we, So we need the message of Psalm 53 and be singing that one as we go along, Absolutely. remembering that we revere God. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to Text Talk this week. We hope you're really getting a lot of bonus edification out of this bonus psalm. And so we've got one more conversation this week. Looking forward to finding Jesus in the psalm tomorrow. Hope that you'll tune in and come back to Text Talk with us then. Let's wrap up with a prayer. Holy God, thank you so much for being our God. Thank you for being our rock, our refuge, our strong and mighty tower. Thank you for being our fortress, for being our shield, for being our salvation. And Lord, may we fear nothing and no one except you. And may our fear be a healthy, honest fear that recognizes how amazing and awesome you are. And that because we fear you, we begin in the journey of wisdom and knowledge and discretion and understanding. And we begin in the journey of victory that has nothing else to fear. We love you, Lord God. Thank you for loving us first. Through your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for talking about the text with us today. I'm Edwin Crozier, and I'd like to invite you to join the Christians who meet on Livingston Avenue in Lutz, Florida, this Sunday for our Bible classes and worship. You can find out more at christiansmeethere.org. Check out our daily written devotional that goes along with today's episode. You can find a link for it in our show notes. Michael Eldridge sang all four parts of our theme song, You can get more from him at acapeldridge.com. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review Text Talk in your favorite podcast app so others can find it and learn about it more easily. 
Have a fantastic day. Steady, pass the word along. Onward, forward, shout aloud, Hosanna. Christ is captain of the mighty throne.